Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! young to have 12 kids. Most of you all already knew that. So I'll, I do want to kind of give you a little bit of update on my family in just a second, but before I do, I, I, I want to tell you, uh, I am really, really grateful to be able to launch the teaching on the parables. Uh, there's a lot. We're going to be, if you've got your Bible, I want you to go ahead and flip to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. We're going to read 23 verses in just a second. That's a lot of scripture that we're going to cover this morning. Uh, so I want, to, want you guys to get there and be ready. Um, <clears throat> especially important, this particular parable that I get to speak on is the parable of the sower, which I think is really, really relevant because we just got finished with a series on the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit are not goals that we try to attain, but rather they are truly fruits that the Holy Spirit brings in your life as the right seeds of the Word have been planted in your life. And those fruits of the Spirit, they just show up naturally and you get to live those things out. And so I think it's apropos this morning that we get to talk about the parable of the sower. Where does that seed come from that allows you to live a life that ultimately produces those fruits? So I'm really, really glad. What I really am also glad about is, is that this particular parable, I think, emphasizes the man challenge, the men's ministry value that Ronnie talked about this morning, and that is we want to develop a heart to invest in others. And I can think of no better place to invest in others than inside of each one of our individual families. So my wife and I did have 12 children, and we had them on purpose for a purpose. Some people think, well, you just have these things by accident. It's no accident. But we wanted to have children on purpose because here's what we figured. We were doing ministry many, many years ago in Atlanta when we first got married. and We were doing youth ministry. And one of the things that we learned quickly was that the kids come to church and they get all filled up with the word that we were teaching them. And then they quickly go home. And when they go home, if their parents aren't continually watering and cultivating that seed that was planted in the seed of the word, those kids will turn into hellions in two seconds. Don't raise your hand, but some of you can relate to that. And what we figured out was that if two of us, my wife and I, could have some kind of an effect on the world for the cause of the gospel, then how much more if we were able to raise a generation of children that would raise up in the word, they would be taught the word, and hopefully by their own choice, but by God's grace, they would become Christians and they in turn would marry Christians and they in turn would have Christian babies and now how many people would we have out spreading the gospel within just one generation? So we had children on purpose, for a purpose. I want you to throw a picture up of my family currently. That's my family. Uh, This summer, that was at my daughter's wedding who is in the midst of them. This summer we had three weddings, a grandchild, and one engagement and that wedding will take place on January 2nd. So we're multiplying now at a rate that I don't think I'm going to be able to keep up with. But, and I want to tell you, there's a reason I put that picture up there. It's not so I can brag on my family, because my wife, you all know, my wife's the real hero of this story, no question about that. I'll tell you why, because I'm tired of Matt Reagan trying to one-up me. <laughs> Matt Reagan doesn't even get on the field with me. 
And when you all see him, I want you to tell him that and rub it in. Sure, his kids can do cartwheels on the beach, and they can all look all buff and all that kind of stuff. I just have more of them, so I love Matt Reagan. He's my pastor, that's for sure. Here's my goal today. My goal is to help you see yourself on a path of becoming a farmer who sows good seed and produces a crop of 30, 60, and 100-fold. And I want to start with something that I think is really, really important. I brought my big Bible today. I normally just use my phone. But this is my study Bible. This is the Bible that I've been using for many, many years in my quiet time. It's the one that I tear pages, flip pages, write in, highlight, you know, all those things that you do, and I've had it for many years. This is the second study Bible that I've had since I was 21 years old. Tore the first one up. In the process of continuing to tear this one up, but now that I have electronics, it doesn't get used as much as the other one did. This word changed my life, man. This word changed my life. And if you don't remember anything else that I say the rest of this morning, I want you to know something. This word changed my life. And it still is changing my life. And all the things that happen in life have answers found in here. But more importantly, that this is the power to transform your life to become what God intended you to become when he created you. And I've got <clears throat> several life verses that have helped me along the way, and, and, and I'm going to list them. You've heard me speak. You've heard me list these things. You know why? Because I don't ever want to walk off a stage not having said that this word changed my life, because it has and it continues to do so. Joshua 1.8 was my first life verse that just changed me. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. In other words, talk about it all the time, but meditate on it and be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you will know what success is. The only way that you can make sure that this word doesn't depart from your mouth, in other words, in, in, other, in, in order for this to become the language that you need to speak, it has to be a seed that's planted deep inside of you that you meditate on and that you, you ruminate on and that you actually try to live out as the Holy Spirit empowers you to do so. And if you will do that, then you will know what good success is in life. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve, approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's a great scripture coming right off the fruits of the Spirit. How do you bear those fruits? You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you renew your mind? You take on the mind of Christ. How do you take on the mind of Christ? You build your faith in Christ. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the what? The Word of God. Hearing comes from the Word of God. Just left a Spire Conference, which is a conference for our churches to kind of gather together, went to a session. There's a movement out there to start bringing back the public reading of the Word of God. Because the power of God's word, when it's heard, is the power to build faith and to transform. The power of God's word. So if there's anything that I want you to know, it's the word of God's changed my life. It's been changing my life now for 47 years. That's how long I've been a Christian and how long I've been seeking Jesus. 
And if you'll take that word, read it, internalize it, meditate on it, think about it, talk about it, share it, and let it do its powerful work because of this. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That is the power of God's word. And there's a reason that I wanted to start that way and to be redundant and keep saying it over and over again because when you leave out here today here's what's going to happen your life and as soon as your life starts to hit you whatever seed of the word of God that we planted in you that's fresh on your mind today will begin to fade because you got to fight all those things that are going on out there that are vying for your time and your attention and your heart if you will hide the word of God deep in your heart as a seed sown from some farmer that's been in your life you can be transformed having said that let's read our scriptures Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 through 23. It's pretty lengthy. Hang in there. Public reading of the word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they had closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. I pray that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would now teach us. And may your word do its thing. In Jesus' name, amen. In that parable, there are two characteristics, or two, two characters and two objects, a total of four parts.
that we're going to focus on throughout the rest of my teaching time. And so here are the four parts. There's a farmer, there's the seed, there's the soil, and there's the harvest produced. And there are many other things that we can pull out of that, but those are the four things that I felt led for us to talk about. I really love the way that Jesus structured this particular part of the scripture. He tells the parable, just like at the very front, verses 1 through 9. He just breaks, just tells the parable straight out. Then the disciples ask him a question, and Jesus takes time to answer their question. And then, fourthly, Jesus breaks down the parable. Sounds like good Bible study, doesn't it? Jesus was modeling the way when he did that. So I'm not going to focus a whole lot on verses 1 through 9 since Jesus breaks it down in detail in the second part of it. Uh, But there are a couple of things that I want to point out in verse 3. In verse 3. And it's the last statement of verse 3. Verse 3 has two parts. I want to just look at the part. It says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And in this sentence, there are two objects that I want to focus on. The farmer and the seed. And I could literally spend an hour talking about probably each one of them because there's a whole lot of depth. It's one of the things when we go to study God's Word and you, you begin to pull out certain things that might seem hidden because Jesus only mentions this farmer at the very beginning. He says, a farmer went out to sow a seed. But when you get to the bottom of the, of the parable, you find out without that farmer, we don't have a crop produced. So that farmer plays a very pivotal part. And it's really important for us to understand that when Jesus speaks in these, these metaphors, it's a figure of speech or which a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally applicable. So when he's speaking of the metaphor of the farmer, he's talking really in context about himself being the sower or God being the sower. But by proxy, he's talking about you and me. Because as Christ followers, we're supposed to take on the characteristics of Christ. So metaphorically, Jesus is the farmer who's been spreading the seed, but we are encouraged to emulate Christ. So we want to think of ourselves as a farmer when we're looking through this parable. And I don't know if you've ever thought about yourself as a farmer. Do you have any farmers in the room? Okay, there's a couple. Not very many farmers left anymore, are there? Back then, this is what what they all did. Let me remind you that Paul the Apostle encouraged us to follow him as he followed Christ. And here's what he said in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 through 7. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Paul identified himself as a farmer who sows seed, and Apollos was a farmer who watered it. And then, but God was the one who made it grow. The magic of the, of the seed is something that only God can make happen. In verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 3, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. And aren't you grateful for the rain that you can hear right now? My grass crunches a whole lot. You remember when Matt Reagan was up here teaching on the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things he said, I I, I wrote down, took note of it, said, if you want the fruit, you have to plant the seeds. If you want the fruit, you have to plant the seeds. So farmers want fruit. Farmers want produce. Sort of begs a question for you and I, when we start to think of ourselves as a farmer, what do you want? What do you want? What do you sow into? That's a pretty personal question, but it's something I think that we all need to do. If we're going to stop and think of ourselves as Christ followers who are going to emulate him as a farmer, what do you want? So can you see yourself as a farmer? The second object in that particular scripture is the seed. 
So what is that seed? There are two other accounts of this parable in two other Gospels, Mark and Luke. And we learn from Mark and Luke's Gospels, both of them, that the seed is the Word of God. Mark 4.14, the farmer sows the Word. Luke 8.11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the Word of God. So when we're talking about sowing this seed, he's talking about sowing the seed of the Word. And many of you probably don't feel confident yet enough to know that you are sowing seeds. But I, I want you to be of good courage. If you are a Christ follower, he's given you seed to start sowing. Doesn't mean you have to be, you know, Kyle Eidelman or Carl Kuhl or Matt Reagan to, to be able to go out and sow seed. No, the seed is the word of God that was planted in you that transforms your life and your life itself becomes that seed spreader. We'll look at that in just a second as well as the words that you speak. So the word of God that's hidden in your heart, that's why I took so much time up front to talk about that. It's because this word is the seed that will change your life. If you don't remember anything else today, guys, please remember that. Please remember that. It might look like something like this in, in real life. You read, you memorize, you meditate, you speak, and then you live it out. Or it might look like you being transformed by the renewing of your mind. The seed of the word transforms your life, and lives transformed are watched by other people. And the seed is sown by how you live your life. Matthew tells us in his gospel in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men so they'll see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Only way to do that, gentlemen, is to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ really did come to this earth because we're all sinners, born into a sinful nature. And God knew that we needed a way to be reconciled back God said that there's only one way that sin can be conquered and that's through shed blood. And he sent his son to die for us. And Jesus obediently died. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he conquered death. And when we repent of our sins and accept that and we're baptized into him, we have the spirit of the living God, the same one that raised Jesus from the dead, now living in us. And now we can go take the seed of the word and let our lives be transformed. So verse 10. Jesus the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus replied, let's look at verses 11 through 17. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the, heaven, of, of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That's why I speak in parables. And then he goes on to talk a little bit more, and he says there are two things really that, that occur here about why he's speaking in parables. Number one is he's talking to a group of people that were prophesied about in Isaiah. They're the people that have rejected Christ. And so he has to speak to them in a way that they'll be overhearing, but they'll never understand. It's fulfillment of prophecy, one of many. The other thing is, is that they simply don't have, because of their rejection, the spirit of the living God. Listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says. It says this. It says, The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. So when the word of God is preached and taught, those that have the spirit of God can have understanding. I don't understand how that happens. It's just the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit living inside of us that begins to translate it to us so that we can be transformed by it. So the Spirit of the living God. We all have people in our lives that just think that we're foolish for being Christ followers. Gives us a hint about where they are spiritually, doesn't it? Flat out tells us. 
So we know that people just won't understand until they have the seed of the Word of God planted deeply inside of them and the Holy Spirit can begin to bring it to life. So he's talking about people that just don't have the Spirit of God. And Jesus goes on in verse 18 and he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. Now we've been thinking about being a farmer. I wanted you to think about being a farmer who sows the seed. And the farmer has to have seed and that seed is the word of God. But you have to think of yourself as a farmer. But as we walk through these four soils, now I want you to switch gears and think of yourselves as soil. You good? We've been farmers. Now let's think of ourselves as soil. And as we walk through this, gentlemen, if you would, would you evaluate yourself? Because even when you're in Christ, you still are soil, and your soil can change depending on what's happening in your life. So as we walk through this, you have to identify what kind of soil are you. Oftentimes when we think of ourselves as a farmer, we're thinking about, won't we be far more productive if we know what kind of soil we're sowing into? I suppose that's true, and we do want to be as accurate as we can, but the way that I read this parable as a sower, there's a little bit of an indiscriminate sowing that goes on. Just throw the word out. Whoever is within four feet of you, tell them the word of God. And then let God do his thing. But there is something to be said for us sowing good seed. I think this morning, anybody that gets up at 6 a.m. on a consistent basis to come and hear the word of God, probably pretty good soil. But you might be in a place in your life where your soil needs to be replowed. You might need to be softened up a little bit. So let's evaluate where you are as we walk through these particular kinds of soil. Listen to what the parable of the sower means, verse 18. Okay. Verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, remember that the seed is the word, but in Matthew he calls it the message about the kingdom, and he does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. So here's the other thing I want you to take note. Metaphorically, the heart is your soil. Traditionally, we know the heart is that inner being, that inner part of you. Some say that it's broken down into three or four parts. I've always looked at it like it's broken down into your mind, your will, and your emotions. So whatever is sown into your mind, whatever transforms the way that you can make decisions according to your will, and whatever, whatever affects your emotions is sowing into what we would know as your inner being or your heart. And that's where the Word of God is. That is the soil. The soil that we're talking about plowing is, is that soil that's, that's in your heart. It's your innermost being. The people that, if, if you'll look at this and, and break it down a little bit, so what happens is, is it's sown along the path, but that path is hard, the seed just stays right on the surface, and the enemy or the birds can come along and just steal that seed. So here's something that I want you to make sure and take note of. Everybody has these kinds of people that are in your life and the enemy is real the enemy is very very real and let me tell you how the enemy works you guys know this but there are different areas of your life where maybe your heart's a little more hard than it needs to be and here's how the enemy steals the seed that we're trying to plant inside of you it's when G- when the enemy asks this very simple question it's the same question he asked in the garden it's the same question he asked of Jesus in the desert did God really say So somebody takes the soil, some farmer, excuse me, the seed, some farmer takes the seed, plants it in your heart. It's truth, comes from the word of God. But then the enemy comes along because your heart might be not as receptive to the word that you just heard. Maybe there's an element of scripture where God's calling you to be obedient. Your flesh just isn't there yet. Maybe you're just a little hard there. And then the enemy comes along and he says, did God's word really say that? 
Did God's word really tell you that you needed to be faithful to your wife? Did God's word say that even if you lust in your heart, you're committing adultery? Did it really say that? That's how the enemy does it. You realize that your heart isn't as fertile as it needs to be, and you need to listen to what the Word of God says, no matter what your flesh thinks about it. Your flesh never likes it. And then the enemy comes along, he tries to steal it. That's what it sounds like. And the way that you fight the enemy when he tries to steal God's Word is, just plant more seed, guys. You remember Jesus when he was in the desert? And the enemy would come along and he would tempt him with something to God really say and Jesus quoted him the word and then you know what Satan did? He took the word of God and he tried to twist it and pervert it but Jesus understood the word because he was the word and Jesus would turn around with another scripture that was more correct than what the enemy was trying to do and by doing so Jesus earned the right and the ability to look at Satan and say leave, we're done. But he did it through the power of the word so more strong seed going into that ground is what will ultimately break up that fallowed ground. Fight the enemy. Let's look at verses 21 through 22. Verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Verse 21. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. This is a picture of people that are somewhat young in their faith. They've accepted Christ and they're starting to grow, but they don't really have that transformation going on in their life yet. I want to encourage you. That's one of the reasons why we meet together. This thing's done in community. It's when one is weak, someone else can come along and can help and can hold them up and can give them courage. You know, we're all at various stages of growth. Some of our roots are deep. Some of our roots are growing deep, but they're just not quite deep enough yet to withstand all the things in life. I want you to listen to God's word again. This is another one of those upside down ways of Jesus. James chapter one, verses two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let me stop there. See, a lot of people, when they're going through a trial and they're not persevering through it, they'll let that trial take them out. It's too hard. But the word of God here, and James says, one of my favorite scriptures, many of you have lived this out as well, but the word of God says, no, when those trials come, I want you to know I'm doing something for you. God is doing something for you. He's giving you something that you can persevere through because look what it says. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So when those tests and those trials come, Maybe your roots aren't deep enough, but you need a band of brothers to hang around. What Carl call it your crew. You need your crew to hang around, to help you as your roots continue to grow. You don't run from those trials and temptations. No, you persevere through them. And I don't know about you, but I've found in living the years that I've lived, life is just one trial after another. There is no plateau, boys. Anybody figured that out yet? There is no plateau. We're in it for the duration until Jesus comes back. And he gives us the gift of trials so that we can persevere and we get to mature. And when we get to mature, we're becoming farmers. He's given us better seed. Now our seed has the experience of life, of lived in Christ, that we can help sow it with. Verse 22. 
The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Anybody relate to that? I think that's where most of us are. I think most of us have good root. But I think the enemy's pretty smart. And I think he takes those things that we talked about in the previous scripture that would cause us to lose heart. And we allow them to stop our progress. The worries of life. The deceitfulness of wealth. There are so many stories that I would love to stop and tell you right now, but time doesn't allow. But I'm going to tell you that probably the last four years to six years of my life, I've faced trials that I never, ever thought that I would ever have to face. I knew the enemy was trying to take me out. And there are times when I hid. Guys, I'm going through a season in my life right now where I can't wait sometimes to get to the end of my work day just so I can go home and take a nap. Because the trials of life have been hard. God is a God of redemption. And here's what I found, gentlemen. I found that when my family started going through a trial that we thought we'd never go through and I started sharing it with my friends, you know, my crew, Dave Stone, Kyle, Brad DeVries, they started telling me their stories. And I quickly learned that the dirty little secret of parenting is what happens when they become adults and we don't tell anybody. You need your crew, boys. Deceitfulness of wealth. The enemy knows that if we're focused on the riches that are temporary, he can distract us from the true riches that bring eternal reward. What the Bible calls treasures in heaven. That's what the deceitfulness of wealth is. You look throughout scripture, there's this fight that gets set up. God and money, God and mammon. Can't serve both. Choose. Choose. But when we get deceived into pursuing wealth, that's temporary on this earth. True riches are those seeds we plant in other people's lives. It all started with me in my business life with a Humi. You guys remember these? How many remember Humis? When we were building this building, we needed more room, so they came up with this clever little thing they called Humis. And these are the people that you would be praying for that would take up the space that we had just created for everyone. Making room for more was the campaign. And you were to take one of these Humis and write someone's name on it that you wanted to see come to Jesus. Well, I wrote the name of one of my customers on that Humi. And I don't have time to go into the entire story. But as I began to pray for that person, he was a big part of my business. As a small business, he was a big part of my business. And his company filed bankruptcy. And he owed me a lot of money. Couldn't pay me. Should have taken me out. People were angry at him. People were suing him. People were calling him all kinds of names and all that stuff. But he was on my humi. And I was faced with a choice. Am I going to sever my relationship with him because he owes me a few shekels? Or am I going to be consistent and persistent in planting seeds in him 
and letting him live out what I hoped would happen by me writing his name on the Humi. So I chose the latter. I chose to continue to invest in him. Through a series of events, I was put on his board of directors as we emerged out of bankruptcy, and, and I lived my life in front of him for some, that was in 2001, so 22 years I've been living with him. And what I didn't know during all that time was whether the seeds of the word that I was planting by my example and by the words that I speak, were they taking root? And on this board, we had an Orthodox Jew. We had an investment banker from New York. We had a CFO of Appliance Park over here in the mutual area. And, and then we had an, uh, a CFO and an owner of a company out of Toronto that made steel. And these were all people. And then there was me. These were people that I didn't... I didn't even know how to be in the same room with them, to be honest. I didn't know why I was there, but I was there. And I didn't know anything other than be me. And so what did I do? I did what I always do. I talked about my life when we would have board meetings. I talked about my church. I talked about my Jesus. I talked about uh, or when we would have meals together and, and there would be three or four bottles of wine in. They're asking me to pray over the meal. And that's, that was always fun. I have no idea what spirit spoke to them when I was praying, but some spirit did. But... Over time, I, I was building relationships, and ultimately he sold his company. We remain friends to this day. I'd love to tell you that I gloriously have baptized him, but I haven't. But you know what I have? I have a relationship that lives to this day with him. He, knew, he moved to California, and every time he comes to town, he calls me. We have breakfast. Last time, it ended in tears. Not mine. His. And then I got a note from the guy that bought his company that I served on the board from. He called me one day and he said, hey, Tim, uh, we've sold the company. And, and he said, uh, uh, I, I got a gift for you I'd, I'd like you to, to have. And I said, oh, that's great. And he said, hey, by the way, we, and, uh, he said, we, uh, uh, we're 75 years old as a company now. And so we, we've got this gift for you that I, I want you to have. And so he said, I want you to come over to the plant and pick it up. And so I did. Sam Reader, you got nothing over on me, brother. <laughs> now, I haven't had a drop of alcohol since I was a sophomore in college. But now I own a bottle of bourbon. I don't know what to do with it. I'm not going to break it like Sam did. <laughs> there. So I thought this was my gift. Then he wrote me a note. And this was my gift. Hey, Tim, I just wanted to send a short note of encouragement with my trips to Louisville being fewer and fewer, I have such fond memories and friendship forged of a tough situation at the plant. And it was a great blessing to me personally. I always appreciated and admired your disarming approach to faith and to prayer. And I'm sure God one day will use it in the lives of, and he named the rest of the people. I got this note, and he included a small gift in there for me. And I sat, and I just wept, and I wept. And I wept. Because for all those years, I didn't know if I was being a good farmer. And I didn't know if I had any value. I'm not in control of the germination period. I'm just in control of sowing the seeds. I would love to tell you that that's how I sum up my life and my business career, but it's not. I've got a lot of Hall of Shame stories like the times, been two times in my life where I've terminated someone from employment 
who were going through horrible life circumstances and just because I wanted to save a couple of shekels, I fired them. God's forgiven me. I'm working on forgiving myself for that. Because the deceitfulness of riches caused me to cause harm to human beings that God made in his image who needed a pastor, not a boss. Verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands that this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what is sown. Guys, that's you. That's what good farmers do. They sow seeds. A good portion of that seed falls on good soil. But a farmer also has to be very, very patient, persistent. But the crop that we get to produce are disciples. This past week, went to Cuba. I took six of us, went to Cuba on a mission trip. One of the things we got to do is participate in a baptismal service, and we baptized 22 people down in Cuba, and it was really, really sweet. But there was one particular person that we baptized, and she told the person that baptized him, I got to tell you, one of the guys that went to Cuba with us, guy has been down there about 60 times. His name's Steve Scott. Some of you guys know Steve. And Steve is a rock star in Cuba. But this girl that got baptized last week when we went down there, she said, Steve baptized my mom 17 years ago. And then that mama planted seeds in that little girl 17 years ago resulted in being baptized in an ocean. Guys, that's what farmers do. Farmer is you. Your job is to sow seed. The seed is God's word. God's given that to you. The soil is the place that you plant that seed in the hearts of men and women. The harvest produced, that's God's. That's up to him. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, 7. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Gentlemen, this seed changed my life. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for time to share this morning. And there's so much more to unpack. I pray that what happens at these tables in the next few moments, God, <clears throat> is life transforming by the power of your word. Thank you for calling us to be farmers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.